welcome to Bellwether Friends. Definitely not the first podcast featuring a discussion of pop culture and why we think you should like what we like. You should trust us because we're librarians. I'm Anna. And I'm Aline. And every couple of weeks we are going to get together. Let's get together, yeah, yeah, yeah. And talk about something we feel like talking about. Usually it's pop culture related, sometimes it's pens. Sometimes we'll get together and record what we're talking about. Right, right. For your listening It's really tough only talking to you every few weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes we do stop a conversation and encourage ourselves to save our material for recording. Yeah. I'm not sure we did that in this case, but we'll find out. (laughs) We'll end the show with our current obsessions. This is episode number 82. Wow. I remember 1982. Uh, So, no, I, I don't think I do. I don't think you do. But I was alive. Oh, for heaven's sake. (laughs) Before we get started today, we want to check in on the What to Watch Next Bracket Challenge poll results. We asked for your input, and you spoke. Gave it. You gave it. (laughs) Overwhelming choice, despite an underground current of votes for Sports Night. Hey, now. Was The Good Place... With more than 50% on the vote. Yeah. Um, you frankly are very disappointed in the number of you that voted for Black Lightning. <laughs> but right. you luckily... Should, you should get there to Black Lightning because it's good. Luckily we're watching it anyway. The good place... <laughs> so there. The good place we haven't watched any of. Not one second. So we will start that project soonish. And we will have an episode where we report in on our findings. And if we don't like it... We're holding you responsible. Right. Because you were quite insistent. So... Super insistent. Like, there were gifts. Right? So... We are grateful for your your input. input, yes. And your feedback. And your passion. And your patience with (laughs) our bracketeering. (laughs) All right. Episode 82. What are we talking about today, Anna? Well, we're talking about... Classical music bonanza extravaganza. Classical music, but now bonanza was not classical music. Well, that's the thing. Although it does have some classical music elements. Dun 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 dun. We didn't clip that one. Dun 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 dun. Whenever you're done, I'm done. Go ahead. Oh, you're done. So we're having a. Just to mix my terms, a renaissance of classical <laughs> music in if our it's household. It's not baroque. Don't fix it. Uh, we have gone to see a few live performances by such august institutions as the Boston Symphony Orchestra and the Springfield Symphony Orchestra, and we have been able to experience some of my favorite pieces of music live and in person. Which caused me to weep each time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a thing. Weeping at classical music live performances. And so we thought we'd explore some of our favorite classical music pieces and sort of talk about them and why they're our favorites and when we encountered them. And then next episode, we'll try and talk about how it is that you can find more classical music if you only like these two things, let's just say, just off the top of my head, 
Mozart and Beethoven, <laughs> and you're looking for something else to like. <laughs> we'll do a little classical music advisory with the help of friends and acquaintances, professional and otherwise. Right. But that's next time. This time we're just going to talk about our deep, deep past. 1982, what were you doing vis-a-vis classical music? Aline. Taking piano lessons? So, shall we? Sure. can't imagine how you knew that this particular piece was from my piano lesson days. Just a hmm. guess. Just a guess. So if I said, Aline, go play me this on the piano in the next room right now. The piano is sadly out of tune, so it would be virtually unrecognizable, but I do remember which keys were involved. Okay. Muscle memory. <laughs> I have a good ear. I have a terrible voice and a good ear, your, so I can pick stuff out. Your ears are lovely. Thank you. So that makes you an ideal consumer of fancy musics. I am a consumer of musics fancy and not. I think part of my goal here is to contemplate the accessibility of such Are we going to destigmatize fancy? I don't know how fancy it is. I mean, it costs money to go to a live performance. Yeah. But the Springfield Symphony Orchestra, which is most accessible to us, it doesn't cost... As much money as the Boston Symphony Orchestra, for example. Nor the Seattle Symphony, to which I subscribed for what it looks like... 900 years. <laughs> no, no. One, two, three, four seasons. Okay. Before abandoning Seattle and coming here, where there is no Seattle Symphony. N- not that I know of. There is Tanglewood. Tanglewood. <laughs> which is the summer location of the Boston Symphony Orchestra, where they appeal to those who like mosquitoes. I didn't remember any mosquitoes from the one time I was there. Okay. There was Garrison Keillor, though, so... Same thing. (laughs) (laughs) I took clarinet, but the only thing I could play or could play at the time was when the Saints Go March Again. But you had a rigorous series of lessonings in various disciplines. Why don't you talk about that? I took lots of lessons of different things that involved music, classical, and otherwise. So I took ballet lessons from like 5 to 13, and tap lessons from 5 to 16, and piano lessons from 7 to 16. There's a That's whole lot of that. That's why you're an internationally known performer today. A triple threat, if you will. Right, right, yes. You've seen me on stage and screen, have you not? Yeah. So there is a whole lot of hearing of music that happens that way. If you take ballet lessons in with a lady who teaches little girls and boys ballet, then you will have experience with some of the musics. You were able to listen to and perform these pieces without growing to hate them, or...? Definitely. And during the course of this time, probably around the time I was eight or nine, my mom started taking me to regional classical music performances and musical theater as well, which we've talked about. And I went to see the Seattle Symphony a few times when I was a kid before my aforementioned subscription period. And I spent my entire 
youth having dinner at the table with the family every single night and listening to classic King FM 98.1 on your FM dial in Seattle and listening to simulcasts of symphony performances and having that be sort of the fabric of the household. What about you? Did you ever hear any classical music in your childhood, no, Anna? No, not at all. Oh, you playing When the Saints Go Marching In on the clarinet? That don't think that counts. Isn't that like, um, isn't that what Ferris Bueller does? I don't know. I haven't seen that movie since the 90s, the early 90s. Hmm, maybe we need to revisit that. I think I have it on VHS over there. Oh, excellent. But back on track. <laughs> Whatever I had, like in our discussion of world music, whatever I listened to was at the whim of my parents. Yeah, mine too, mostly. And so we had a multi-CD set of all of Mozart's works. Oh my but, god. Yeah, my sister has it, I think. But the only CD that was in the car was... <laughs> uh, Paul Simon's Graceland. That was one of them, but, but <laughs> of the set, there was, there was one that includes my favorite piece of music, which is Piano Concerto, number 21 which we went to see in Boston. So, third movement. I am so glad you mentioned Mozart, because thanks to Amadeus and Tom Hulse, and F. Marie Abraham's Salieri, I did a report in 10th grade on Mozart and have been faintly obsessed with him ever since, even going so far as to learn to play the Turkish march from his sonata in C on the piano. Our fingers are twitching with the need to play. That's me playing, actually. Right, obviously. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> we took the mic into the piano in the front room. So if we're rating composers... Uh, Mozart is Mozart, the best. Mozart, Mozart is number one. Clearly. Wolfie. That's the name of a nice cat. Is it? Yes. Oh, right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You should follow Elizabeth Ruth on Instagram. She has several cats, one of whom is named Wolfie. We are united in our appreciation of Mozart. And You have one more Mozart piece on here. I do? Which I will play for you. Awesome. dramatic singing. So that is part of Mozart's Requiem, which I have seen performed live more than once, and features in Amadeus, if you want to see it dramatically impersonated, rather than just finding it on YouTube and listening. Hey, did we mention we're going to put all these in a playlist oh, for you? Oh, we are! We are. We're okay. going to make a episode 82 classical playlist for your listening pleasure so you don't need to take notes and we will also list the pieces we've discussed in our copious show notes stand Wait. by so the other day my dad was 
reminiscing about how my sister and I were wandering around a grocery store singing to ourselves and this is the thing that we were singing. Bean really liked that. Bean did. I love Mozart. <laughs> that is eine kleine Nachtmusik. We're going to do another episode on opera uh, because I couldn't get my list down, down to far manageable right, size well, without deleting opera. The, the things that I gravitate to, I think, are the things that I've heard a thousand times where I'm looking for certain parts of the music and where I'm like seeing things in my brain when it's happening. Yeah, one of the things that I love about classical familiar works of art are their use in movies. Yes. Most of my pieces that I'll be sharing today have been used in movies to great effect or possibly commercials. The Turkish March that I was playing earlier for you <laughs> was used in a raisin commercial in the 80s, which was where I found it, and then I heard it and discovered it was Mozart and was like, I'm going to learn how to play that. And you talked about the CD being in the car. Yeah. We had these cassette tapes. My mom and I shopped somewhere that had this three ninety nine bin of cassette tapes, and we would root through it for days. And we would find things, and she would buy them. And one of the things that she bought that we listened to in the car all the time was Ravel's Bolero, which, if you have heard it, Anna was talking about hearing something over and over and over, and the beauty of Bolero is that this particular phrase is repeated 169 times over the course of the piece. It starts out with just the faintest flute, and then it layers on every piece of the orchestra over hours Forever. for some, and there's never enough of it as far as I'm concerned. My association with that is Olympics ice dancing, Torval and Dean. Which I am thankfully immune to. <laughs> I don't have that as... I mean, I, I think I've seen the piece, but I... Yeah. I'm just going to bring up the Olympics one more time. Oh, good. Speaking of tapes, there was a tape that I had that I would play, and then I would flip over and I would play again, and I believe it is, like, selections from the Nutcracker and not the entire ballet. Right, right. If you... It's like the Nutcracker Suite or whatever. Yep, yep. And... I like almost all of the Nutcracker Suite because it is the most pedestrian of things to like the Nutcracker, and I am <laughs> there for it. But one of my favorite things is a waltz, and my favorite waltz is the final waltz. So. She's twirling in her ball gown. Right? Symbol crashing. I did hear a symbol crashing. I do like a crashing symbol.
So you said that it's pedestrian to like the Nutcracker, and I will remind us and our listeners that this was the popular music of the time. Yeah, I love the Nutcracker. That, but all but the, the classical sure there are music people out there that are like, oh, the Nutcracker. So right. boring. I've seen it a thousand times. Yes. Well, so one of the things that we I've been doing in preparation for our next episode is listening to a great courses on orchestral works. And he was talking about how music moved from like being commissioned by rich dudes. And we should take a minute to discuss how all of these are white dudes. <laughs> Just an acknowledgement that all of these composers are white dudes. They're all dead, too. Yeah. We don't have any living composers on this list. No, we don't. But he was talking about how white dudes would compose music to be heard just once. Like, they would expect Haydn to compose a new opera per week or a new... And that gradually, Haydn and Beethoven and Mozart being the primary names, they started composing things that people wanted to hear again. (laughs) <laughs> so those are things that entered into the, like the popular lexicon and the rep- what he calls the repertoire. And so I think those pieces are great. Like those are the things that we still listen to today that the Boston Symphony Orchestra is still performing. And the other thing that we heard when we went to hear Mozart's Piano Concerto Number no. Twenty One, which is my favorite, was it's the Elvira Madigan for those of you who don't know them by opus number. Was Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, which is one of the most well-known pieces of music. She left out the beginning part, which is the bump a bump bomb. But you could hear the same notes in there. He's yes, just riffing, riffing <laughs> on a theme. We can pivot from talking about Mozart to talk about Beethoven. Uh, we're not done with Mozart. We're not? No. Well, sort of. <laughs> Before we left the Nutcracker, I wanted to caution everyone to read the labels carefully if you happen to be buying music, because just like selections from the Nutcracker, you will end up with selections from Handel's Messiah, Mm -hmm. for example, instead of having the entire work, which is really long. But maybe you want selections. Maybe you do just want selections, but I would caution you on missing the less popular bit. There is a version of Phantom of the Opera soundtrack that is selections from that just has the songs you want to hear and then there's a longer version that has all of the interplay stuff. The noodling around. The noodling around. When they're not singing. Right. But if you like Phantom of the Opera the way you want your Hamilton, you wouldn't want selections from Hamilton. You would want the whole shebang. Or to listen to it on shuffle. I have done that as you know. If you are listening to Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, maybe you just want the Ode to Joy. (laughs) Maybe. And if you're listening to Handel's Messiah, maybe you only want... Hallelujah. Isn't that a song called Hallelujah? Oh, Leonard Cohen. <laughs> Wait, I have to tell you 
okay. about the most important performance of the Hallelujah Chorus in my life was when my mom performed it for Robert Redford at Sundance. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah, as an eight-member group, it's not quite the same impact, maybe? Slightly different. I heard it performed at the Cathedral of St. John the Divine in New York, which is an Episcopal unfinished cathedral in the north of New York City. And I was there with a bunch of barbarians who didn't know you were supposed to stand. So that's scary. I've never heard it live. Okay, so if you are going to see the Messiah or selections from the Messiah or the Hallelujah Chorus as part of a program that you are seeing lively performed, stand your butt up for the Hallelujah Chorus. Okay. Google it. On a religious note. <laughs> Is that non-secular? <gasps> yeah! On a non-secular note. One of my favorite songs that I've mentioned before and had as an obsession on this podcast is called Jesu Joy of Man's Desiring by Bach. Which I have to tell you is great to try and get work done to. I was going to say, that's your editing music. You just put it on repeat or you have, have a playlist like of 17 versions, versions yeah. of it. I've got the bluegrass version and, you and I've got the... Listen. I don't necessarily like the singing version, but there are like words that go along with it. I just had a thought when I brought up my mom, which is that she was in a singing group for most of my life. And primarily they did madrigals, but... Sometimes they ventured into experimental music land or modern music or like whatever other pieces. Hallelujah Chorus for Robert Redford. So a lot of that was like in the background. And when I was listening to the Great Courses guy explain Bach and listening to like the Baroque elements of it, I was flashing back to hearing like various Baroque chamber music collections that she would put on. I couldn't put my finger and be like, that piece of music from that CD, I heard that a lot and I like it and I want to hear it again. It was more like, sort of like a background noise to my life. Yeah, I can see that. We talked briefly, that was one of the pieces of material that we might have used up earlier, was the prevalence of non-secular music in the classical repertoire milieu no i can't remember the word oh and the best part about the guy who does the great courses is that he sounds like lewis black he does so if you, we'll talk more about him next we will. time we will talk more about him next time so i talked about movie music and we did we move to beethoven from mozart we vaguely we segued to beethoven beethoven so mozart has the kind of music that like makes me want to bob bob around and I think that's the perfect note choice for that good job Mozart and Beethoven is what I want to listen to when I'm feeling sort of dramatic <laughs> when I'm like you know what I need I need something that's gonna make me drive really fast in the car okay yeah I should look for a citation for I read or heard a definition of classical music at some time in my misspent youth that it 
sounds familiar even when you don't know it because the notes that follow each other are the way they're supposed to be. Hmm. And I can't remember that, but I also thought that that was definitely a Western European attitude as well. So, movies. Movies using classical music. one a space odyssey that is strauss ricard strauss we have learned is the pronunciation thus spoke zarathustra based on nietzsche also sprock sprock zarathustra that also lewis black spends a lot of time <laughs> speaking very deliberately when he says thus spoke zarathustra because it is indeed Hard a tongue to twister what else have you got for movie music before I go back to Beethoven? <laughs> well, in the 80s, there were some movies that Christopher Reeve was in this time travel romance with Jane Seymour Somewhere called in Somewhere time. in Time. And they used Rachmaninoff's variations on a theme of Paganini. like storytelling thing going on in it which I like a symphony that tells a story I like a program to articulate for me the story the <laughs> symphony is telling please fill that in for me just Thanks. like watching Fantasia <laughs> anything else I think that might be all that I've got on my list you I do have Taco Bell <laughs> I do have Taco Bell there are pieces of music that are Widely familiar in some of the white Western canon, such as Taco Bell's canon in D, which is the wedding walking in music. I can see the flower petals fluttering now. I feel like I should eat brunch. Just We just need to have brunch right now. And I can't remember why I have this other piece of music on here, so I'm going to play it and see if it reminds me. Right. This is the piece that is over every foreign film drama preview that you see at the Art House Cinema. And it's Eric Satie's Gymnopedia. Seems French. Yeah, I'm feeling very dramatic. And then this last one is on here for Anna and her dad. Right. And her childhood. And possibly yours. Oh my goodness. Now don't you want to be galloping around? So, 
my dad would put us on one knee and he would take both of our hands and he would start singing that and then he would bounce us up and down. <laughs> He's not the only dad in the world to have done that. I know. I'm, I'm thinking this could potentially be a memory for many people, people with uncles or dads right. or granddads. Or butch aunts. <laughs> or butch aunts or extremely older brothers. Out here, apparently, what they say is trot, trot to Boston, and when they're bouncing you on the knee, trot, trot to, to Lynn, and it's like a thing, but we didn't have Boston when I was growing up. <laughs> we just had the William Tell Overture Yeah. by Rossini. I have two more things from Beethoven, because... <laughs> of of the, course you do. Because of course I do, because for me, it's all Mozart and Beethoven. You've got a lot more variety than I do. Well, but my variety was kind of a brainstorming variety. As I look through my stack of Seattle right, Symphony right, hold on, let me programs, finish mine, and then you look through your stack of. No, symphony. I'm not going to talk. Go through them, but there's a whole lot of Mozart and Beethoven there. Well, all that's because say. they're you know the best. The best. I generally look to Beethoven for super energy, and drama, and like quiet, and then very loud. But if I'm feeling very sad, I like to listen to the pathetic piano sonata. Do you know the words to this? No. I don't want to know the words to it. I just want it to be a piano. Thanks. And then switching gears entirely, I hadn't really listened to the Seventh Symphony, but we went to see it along with the Four Seasons. Yeah. Last month or the month before last. And I saw it in preparation for seeing it live. I listened to it about 900 times. Oh, good. <laughs> so now I really like it. And um, I've been working on a painting that I had a vision of when I was listening to the second movement, but this is the fourth movement. the fourth movement especially because it is very energetic and it just doesn't stop what it's billy joel so there's a billy joel song that's got the same melody going on in the middle of it that's weird it's what my why I was making the face that I was making when it making was playing because I was like singing along like, with oh, that's this weird <laughs> and it took me a minute to think of it and here we are here we are so you kept all of your Seattle Symphony programs is there anything that sticks out there well I didn't find the Shostakovich that my mom was wild for when I started looking but there was the Rachmaninoff. Rhapsody on a theme of Paganini, there were some Brahms, there was some violin concertos. We didn't talk about violins. Shall we talk about violins? Violins is a word that is very similar to violence. You're right. 
And we have had a little bit of chatting here at BFHQ about the fine line between a pleasant violin and a screechy assault of violins on the senses. <laughs> and this might be something that you're like, yeah, totally. Or it might be something like, what are you talking about? The violin is the most melodious sound in the history of the world. I love the string section. Like when I was at the symphony and I could see all the strings working together and I could hear them and the different tones, I'm always super happy. I think mostly it's the screechy solo violin that gets me. And sometimes... A solo violin is tracing an air over the rest of the orchestra that is really beautiful. So it's a very fine line, but the screechy sort of like, you know, the shower scene in Psycho, <laughs> that is a little different from even the like wild noodling of the Four Seasons, which they we didn't talk about. Of the Four Seasons, and the Four Seasons we mentioned a couple episodes ago, and it is definitely part of my personal canon. Yeah, yeah. But there are parts of it where I'm like, okay, Vivaldi, you clearly were writing this violin part for you to play. Because you were a virtuoso. And there's only, there's like a certain time limit of virtuosity that I can handle, just like with jazz. <laughs> Is it worse than jazz? Improvisation and virtuosity before I'm like, no, I need a melody. I don't like a guitar solo, period. Wow. In the middle of a song, we'll you know? We'll have to come back to that. All of rock music. But what about Pat Benatar? I stand by my statement. I stand by my statement. <laughs> what is your favorite section of the orchestra? I, as always, am heavily influenced by my mom. And I love a twittering piccolo. Okay. Separating from the pack and noodling about. I love the timpani in the Spoke Zarathustra, where it's going bom, 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 bom. And when the guy is standing in the back and you can see him, the brass, oh my gosh, the brass. That's what I would have said for you. Brass. I love, love brass. I can pick out different instruments. We are always talking about the oboe of self-discovery. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say, I'm... I'm by like sympathy a woodwind person like that one part of me that learned how to put together the clarinet and yeah, play it yeah. listens for the clarinet and the oboe and and the contrabassoon and all those guys and I'm like oh you guys doing a good job woodwinding yeah I played the flute for a few years of course you did <laughs> yeah. and I didn't I played didn't play it very well so I was only a couple of years and you know I love when there is a whole lot of the variety of percussion when we went to see the Star Trek and Star Wars. I was going to segue to that. Good at job. At the Springfield Symphony, there was a lot more percussion than there had been when we went to see the Beethoven. And it was it was delightful to see the guys like leaping from the xylophone from to the to triangle there were like three of them to the bells ten and the timpani, and they had a bass drum, and that was really delightful. There's not anything that I don't like. Obviously, as I have gone through everything, and I mean, you haven't said I, anything about the double bass alley. I played the piano, so whenever they've got a piano or a harpsichord on the stage as part of the orchestra, I'm thrilled by it, and I have loved 
when there has been a, sol- a piano soloist, when I'm seeing a piece of music that yeah. is basically the orchestra backing yeah, a piano concerto. Like Mozart. <laughs> Holy cats, that is a thrill. I was having harpsichord thoughts, which is, so the difference between a harpsichord and a piano is that the harpsichord just plucks the strings of a harp that's lying down, and a piano can hammer uh, with various degrees of firmness, depending on how hard you bang the keys. And the harpsichord is like, just never enough banging for me. <laughs> it's too gentle. Noted. <laughs> it's too gentle. And um, there is something supremely satisfying about pounding out chords on right, the piano. Exactly. And so it's, it says like Bach Baroque era to me and not like. Deedly, 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 deedly. I. My piano teacher for the longest interval of my piano lessoning was a woman who played with such a firm hand <laughs> that you could, she did not have long nails. It wasn't her fingernails hitting the keys, but you could hear the impact of her fingers on the keys along with the music that was playing. Well, okay, then. It was pretty awesome. So I'm, I'm a big fan of the piano. We had a piano in my house. Knut Rockney's piano. <laughs> <laughs> of course you did. I used to noodle around with it, and there was a period of time where I was like, I can figure out how to read music, and I can play, I had like the Sound of Music um, songbook or whatever, I can figure out how to do this, and I can, it's just I don't really want to. Yeah, I played Do Re Mi in a recital. Good for you. The piano that we have in our front room is the piano that my parents bought when I was eight. And have... So that you could diligently practice. <laughs> <laughs> and so I have been hauling it around or storing it for dang nigh 40 years. Also, it's a reconditioned bar piano. So it's an old upright from um, a saloon type of situation. <laughs> it's not a player piano, but it might as well be. <laughs> no, we're going to get ourselves a Sam up in here. Yeah, good. So I was thinking about the Star Wars Star Trek because... Aside from these dead white guys, John Williams is the live white guy who, like, in terms of instrumental music, has had the biggest impact on me in my life. So, and ta- we t- we were talking for, up until this point in the podcast, we were talking about a traditional definition of classical music, which was primarily instrumental or choral, and primarily originally performed slash published prior to 1900. I don't know if we left room to spend much time talking about instrumental music composed in the 20th and 21st centuries. I think that uh, what I want to hear from our listeners is a couple of things. I want to hear what your favorite pieces of classical music are. I want you to say, if I said to you I like Mozart and Beethoven, I want you to say... Well, then you should try X. Shostakovich. I don't know. Now that we've been, like, going and I've been listening to all these things and preparing for this podcast, when I listen to John Williams, I... Or when I listen to Beethoven or when I listen to Mozart, when I listen to anything, I can identify parts and I'm like, oh, John Williams listened to this a lot. Right. (laughs) And it's not sampling and it's not plagiarism and it is part of the way I was talking about notes being put together in what I can only really term a logical sequence, which is not, which is not an accurate representation. That's not the right word. Um, 
I one of the things that I will say about what I'm laying my hand on my stack of Seattle Symphony programs during the time I was subscribing to the symphony was I the first year I subscribed was the first season that Ludovic Morlo was the new musical director after Gerard Schwartz was the musical director for 35 years and most of my life and then Morlo came and he is younger than I am and brilliant and charming and of course we fell in love with him on site and he had this way of pulling pieces that you knew into a program and so he would have a couple of movements from a symphony that you knew or a couple of them and then he was really committed to new works and living new composers and he would always put them in the first half of the program so you had to wait so you had to listen to some modern classical instrumental cacophonous music before intermission and then you would get to your Shostakovich and we thought that it was very clever while we were gnashing our teeth and <laughs> through them and continue to love him and I can review some of that and see if something jumps out at me but I don't well so what I would like to have recommendations for is instrumental music in a classical style that is not by white guys yes not composed by white guys yeah surely there must be some out there there are some. So that will be maybe a question that we talk about next time. Mm -hmm. And maybe someone will be able to point us in the right direction. But to take us back in the white guy direction, I have a musical obsession. That is a song composed in 1951 by a composer named Leroy Anderson who is famous for compositions like the typewriter and using interesting... He used one with sandpaper. He used interesting... Oh, him! Right, so there was a typewriter on stage and someone had to, like, type along with the music. He also composed a little song known as Sleigh Ride. So he's one of my favorite modern instrumental composers. And this song is called Bell of the Ball. It's a waltz. <laughs> So it's right in my wheelhouse. I'm going to play some. There's nothing that will make me grin more like a fool than hearing music like that and bouncing around. Waltzing. We need more room in this house for waltzing is what we need. I and I need to I need I know that Strauss does waltzes, but I haven't I haven't got a grip on them, you know? Right. How about you? Do you have a musical obsession? Yes. I always have musical obsessions. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have a clip for you of a musical obsession, but in light of our waltzing and our classical musicking, I am going to go back to my Disney canon, okay. which is stuff composed in the 20th and 21st <laughs> centuries, and I will go with Once Upon a Dream from Sleeping Beauty, okay. which I have waltzed to a lot in my life 
<laughs> I thought you were going to like narrow it down to a decade or something. No, no. no. Okay. I've always liked that song. Okay, and it, and it matches with the, the themes. Great. What is your obsession obsession? I think we, we just, have a shared right. obsession again. <laughs> we just got home from watching A Wrinkle in Time, which was beautiful and a fabulous adaptation of the source material and great representation across the board. Fun to see Giant Oprah. <laughs> I really liked Giant Oprah. You should definitely go see it if you haven't seen it already. And if you, whether you're a fan of the book or not. Yeah, I don't think you need to be a super fan of the book to watch it. But I think that if you are a super fan of the book, I think that it will still have a lot for you. It did a really good job of coming close to stripping some of the 1960s sexism. I think it, I think it did a good job. Yeah, I think so too. Well, you're just hedging a little. Well, but I, I feel like there were still dudes in it. Yeah, yeah. There was one particularly useless dude. But I feel like there was not so much sort of giving Meg the hairy eyeball for being grumpy about what she was grumpy about. Yeah, where I from the audience. In a, and I reread it recently and spent a lot of time outraged on Meg's behalf. And so this this helped me with that. Is that what we're obsessed with? I think so. Unless oh, you have a separate obsession. I do have a separate obsession because we had a snow day today, and right. we watched nine episodes of the second season of One Day at a Time. Yes, well, I'm also obsessed. <laughs> and so, I mean, these are shared obsessions, but we have two different ones that right. we can share okay, for today. And we are loving it. We loved the first one, and we watched it in two days. I mean, and this seems like just a continuation of the first season, completely. In some ways, and it's, they are... Not shying away from issues, and they are continuing to treat them with warmth and good humor, even when they're really, really tough. And we cried. Yeah. And we're not done yet. Well, we we stopped watching because our Netflix was not cooperating, not because we wanted to. <laughs> right, right. We probably wouldn't have seen Wrinkle in Time if Netflix hadn't started hiccuping today. So, just as well, I guess. Yeah. So we'll watch the rest, but I have no doubt that they will be high quality and moving and just what we need in terms of television these days. Right. Okay. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter at BellwetherFriends, B-E-L-L-W-E-T-H-E-R-F-R-N-D-S. You can find us on Facebook or on Tumblr. If you want, you can look us up on iTunes and leave us a review. I'm Anna, and you can find me online at Helga Grace, H-E-L-G-A-G-R-A-C-E. I'm Aline, and you can find me on Twitter at Surly Spice, S-U-R-L-Y-S-P-I-C-E. And our In-N-Out music was provided by Julie Jurgens. You can find her on Twitter at Hi Miss Julie, H-I-M-I-S-S-J-U-L-I-E. Bye! Bye.